1: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: And hear a message that salvation was by faith alone in Christ alone. And then he backed away after he did all of that, sent his spirit in to convict you of your need. Then he backed away, and then he let you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You called upon him. He didn't call upon himself. He called you to call upon him to trust Christ. So was it all him picking? No. Was it all of you? No. But it's kind of all together. So I think this is kind of cool when I read that. Well, when I read the passage, it causes me to have um, two immediate questions. The first one is this. Why would God want to pick me? Really? I look at my life and I look at who I am I look where I came from. I'm only a second generation American. Okay? We're, my grandparents were from another country. Europe. Czechoslovakia, Switzerland, Bohemia, okay? That's my background, okay? But why would God want me in his forever family? Here's why I think he did. Not because I'd be preaching Not because I'm so good looking. I'm not. He did it to show us and the world and his angels his grace. See, it's not about me. It's all about him. Do you believe that? I like to see it. It shows to the world and others his glory, his grace, his mercy, his love, his power. How long do you have? Okay. So it goes on and on and on. That's who God is. So that's why he picked me and that's why he picked you. So I can't walk around here, you know, with my nose stuck in the air. How about that later, Your nose is so stuck in the air that it rains you ground. Okay, so the point still being is he picked you to manifest to others his wonderful grace. You don't believe it? Read Ephesians chapter two, the first part of it. To manifest his grace. What's the second uh, question? Not only why did he choose me, But now, what what basis did he choose me? In other words, yes, it's about his grace, but it was also for us to understand his mercy. Notice what it says. For it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Let me say it real simple, simply. He says, I'm doing this because I want you in my family. I want to be your God. And your spiritual father. I want to give you identity. I want to give you purpose. And it's all wrapped up around. God's saying this. The person. And the work. Of my dear son. And I'm demonstrating that to you. I'll tell you. Can you imagine what that would be like? Um, those of you that want to listen. To the recording of the interview that I did. With my son. Our son. Our son's adopted. He came out of a horrible situation at seven years of age. I don't want to get too much into that. But he was a wild child, and we got him out of an orphanage in the U.S. So now he's in his 40s, and he's walking with the Lord, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So I interviewed him. One of the things he said was this. He said, because I, I asked him, I said, son, when you were brought into our family, you were brought into not just a family, not just American family, not just a Christian family, you're brought into a minister's family that is blown and going and nationally known and all this stuff. I mean, you were flung right in front of the cameras, basically, okay? How did that make you all feel? And he said, well, dad, and it's on the tape. Listen to it." he said, I had nobody. I didn't know who I was. And now to be adopted, I have identity. He says, I now know who I am and why I'm here. I have purpose. He said, I was nothing, and now I became something, someone. And that's just an earthly realm. Now let's take it up to this realm. We have identity. I am a Christian. I am a Christ one. I'm a Christ one. Can you say that? Now, it's hard, it's easy to say here, isn't it? Amen, 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 amen. Well, well next time... You're at a protest. Yell out, I'm a Christian! Next time you're on late night television, say, I'm a Christian! See what that does for you. You remember how I began the message and I shared with you that they were at a time when these Christians were taken away and they were doing this and they had all this happening to them. They were fed to the lions. They were burned at the stake, Blah, 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 blah. Why were they... The fires that are hitting Oregon and California aren't hitting them because there's Christians there, right? The virus isn't there because ah, we're against Christians. It's just hitting everybody. They suffered because they're Christians. That's kind of like a double whammy, isn't it? They're attacking your identity. And my God's bigger than their God. Like one guy said, yeah, that's nothing. My dad can beat up your dad. The other is that's not my mom could beat up your dad, you know. So back to this, I want you to know God is big, and we are a Christ one, and that's why He did this by His boundless mercy. I'm in His forever family. Do you want to hear this? I'm going to say it. Bring your toes under your your desk, your chair. If you are a Christian, act like one. Act like one. I we raised our boys. To remember that wherever they go, they carry the name of Christ and they carry the name of Pons with them. Now, it's important for them to know that they carry the name of Christ with them because Christ will always be with them. I won't be. I can't be. God, Christ is on the present. I'll never be that. I'll die. But here's what I will give to them a name, hopefully, a good reputation, prayerfully, a good legacy that they can now pass down to their. It lets them know that they both boys are adopted. That both of them have been chosen. They have identity, and so I hope that we would now act like a Christ one. He is my Father, wherever I go. So the basic bottom line is simply this: is that we have a forever family because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So while I can't take away your pain, I cannot predict what you're going through, how long it will last. And I can't predict the intensity of it. I can't predict the frequency of it. I can predict that the Lord will be with you. I can predict that it doesn't really matter because this world is our hell because we're going to heaven. For the unsaved, this world is their heaven. This is the best it ever gets. You know what I mean? Because they're going to real Literal, condemned state in a horrible place called hell. And I think the worst part of hell is that Jesus Christ won't be there. He won't be just the flames Alright, number two. Alright. Good news for bad times. God is working in my life. Let's go back to verse two again. God is working. In other words, He doesn't just save me and abandon me. He doesn't just save me and say, okay, you're here in the family, now go do whatever you want. Now think about that for a moment. How many kids today are young young adults, maybe even older adults, that they're acting so squirrely today is because they did not have anything early on to help them with good parenting? Now, I don't want to blame it totally on that because they had exposure to right and wrong and a conscience and a lot of other governors in their life. And, of course, they could have had Christ if they wanted him, that kind of thing. But in reality, though, the purpose of us having a child in our families to do what? Is to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so they can then continue on that same path of being not only saved, but now growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Now, if you agree with that, can you say, "Uh uh-huh? All right. So in other words, when I look at all the issues that I have, God wants me to continue to grow. Watch this now. But he says, I will be the one who will grow you from the inside out. So now we like that. Ooh, I'm in God's family. He lives in me. This is so cool. Well, then he says, I want to grow you. Now, grow you doesn't mean how high you go or how wide you go. He didn't do that, but here's what he does do. He said, I'm going to grow you to become that godly man, that godly woman I want you to be. I want you to have all of that. But to do that, oh, we're going to hate this. He's got to bring us through trials to do it. Because at the bottom line of our growth is one five-letter word. It's called faith. We get saved by faith, and we walk by faith. Colossians says that. But that faith is not an existential faith. It's a real faith that that faith gets honed by getting more in the Word. Watch this, stay stay, stay with me. By getting in the Word, and we get in the Word more frequently by discipline when we choose to get in the Word to learn it, to apply it, etc. But also, when we go through trials as a Christian, should not that cause us to go back to the Word to then give us faith, to then grow us into His likeness? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to quote an Old Testament verse from Psalms. David writes this, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your word. Ooh, that's the trial. And when you have trials, you get discouraged. So we're discouraged because we have trials. When really, we should say, Lord, bring those trials on. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm going to be encouraged. Why? Because those trials that he gives me strengthens my faith. My faith gets straightened when I'm in the Word. When I'm in the Word, my faith is stronger. I begin to grow, I become more like Him, and I start realizing, hey, what? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up, so we're beyond the blue. So that's what this is about. This is what makes it so cool is when I go back to this. He's working in my life. So let's look at it very quickly here because it's really neat. Look in verse 2. It says, the Spirit has made you holy." Peter's right. He says, hey, guys, remember... God the Father chose you, but the Spirit is also making you holy. And to do that, you're going to have to go through some trials. So He's made you holy. How precious is that? So He does two things inside of us. He cleanses us and He changes us. He cleanses us and He changes us. As a result, you've obeyed Christ. How do you obey Christ? Well, there's two ways you obey Christ. Look up here. How do I obey Christ? Now watch. If salvation is by faith, and I have to obey him. Do I obey him to go to heaven? Listen carefully. It's a trick question. Do I have to obey Christ to get saved when it says that it's not by works and it's only by faith? The answer is yes. The question is, what do you have to obey? When he says you have to believe on me to have eternal life, when he tells you there's no other way you want to go to heaven, you've got to believe if we believe we obeyed Christ in that one point of getting into his forever family. You see what I'm saying? So that's why obedience to Christ is necessary, or the obedience of faith is necessary, as it says in the in Thessalonian epistles. But it's the obedience not of joining the church, getting baptized, doing all these other things. It's obeying when Jesus says, Believe on me, and you have everlasting life. And so we have to do that. That's the first obedience. The second obedience now we obey him to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Watch this. We don't obey him to get saved. We don't obey him to stay saved. We obey him because we are saved. Isn't that simple? Okay, I don't do it to get saved. I don't do it to stay saved. I do it because I am saved. And we're going to open that up here. Let's look at it again. So he says he's changed us from the inside. He's cleansed us. So things are going to begin to happen in a very beautiful way. Oh, how precious that is. By the way, do any of you watch HGTV at all? on TV? How many of you have watched HGTV. Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you have. The rest of you are probably watching something else. But in there, they have a lot of these shows where they have interior decorators. They come into your house and it's a bunch of it's a you know hoarder's den or something, and they come in there and they kind of clean it up and they fix it all up for you and all of that, and then they walk back and then the house is valued and they sell it or whatever they do. But they're always kind of fixing up on the inside. When I read that or I see that, here's what I'm reminded of. That Jesus Christ is the greatest interior decorator that there ever could be. Because what is he doing? He's working on the inside. Too many churches today are trying to get people to be right on the outside, and they don't emphasize being right on the inside. When you're right on the inside, the outside takes care of itself. I understand about curb appeal and all that stuff, but sometimes, what good is a house if it's beautiful on the outside? You go inside and the ceilings are falling down, the doors are off their hinges, and all that stuff. I'd rather have a place you'd have to live in that's clean. And we can take care of the outside after the inside. I'll feel safe when I sleep in a house where the roof is not falling on my head. So that's what God does. He says, I take you from the inside and I work you to the outside. Look at the verse again. It says, as a result, you've obeyed Christ and you've been cleansed by his blood. That goes back to this death on the cross. This resurrection then proves that there's life. May you have more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace. So, you have more of God's special favor. I think that's a wonderful benefit. Grace heaped upon grace. God gives so much grace to us. And he says, you will have increasing wonderful peace. Increasing wonderful peace. How precious is that? Let me say something about your pastor. He does not take his calling to be your pastor lightly. He takes it very seriously. When you go through deep waters, it hurts him. When you have troubles in your life, He really wishes you didn't have to go through the pain. And then He's praying that through the pain, you'll go to the Word, your faith will be strengthened, and you'll continue to grow. He really, really, really cares for you. He wants you to experience peace in your life. That things are really coming together for you. Be grateful for the pastor that you have. He really cares for you. So I'm meditating on this passage, mercy and peace, and how what God does for me, it really makes my mood a little, a little up a little bit. There's a very popular supplement company, manufacturer of supplements. They have one that they call Mood Lift. You buy it, and it's called Mood Lift. Now, there's probably other things out there that you can get that'll boost your mood. I, I don't know if it works or not. I'm not here trying to sell you or recommend anything. I'm just saying that's telling me that the world feels that their mood is down and their mood needs to be lifted, right? So they think if I take a pill, that'll do it. Probably not too bad because it's natural. Other people think that I'll get my mood better if I drink alcohol. Well, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, Or if I take other drugs, how's that working for you? You What know? well, the complication does that have on your life? Now, why am I telling you this? God has, in this passage and a couple others I'm going to give to you when you're discouraged, three mood lifters. So I'm going to give you three biblical mood lifters as we go through this passage. All right, look, if you will, at Hebrews 13, five and six. It's in your notes. You can see this, the passage there, Hebrews 13, five and six, get your pens ready because I want you to look at mood lift number one. Mood lift number one is where it says, for God has said, I will never fail you and I will never forsake you. Let's pause for a moment. I will never fail you, and I will never forsake you. That's mood lift number one. Now, when I read that, if you read it in Scripture, you're going to find that this is in the New Testament. It's actually quoted from the Old Testament. So you have God-wanting people that are so down to know in the Old Testament, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to forsake you. And it was so powerful. He said, we need to say that again. So the writer of Hebrews then puts it in there by borrowing from the Old Testament. And he says, I will never leave you. I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. And it's God saying that and underline the word, I will. That's God. He, He can say that. I will never do this to you, fail you or leave you. That is huge. Now, I don't know who's listening to me right now. And I wish I was in your backyard sitting on your porch and that you could really see my heart right now. I have been blessed by having a wife who's never left me or forsaken me or failed me somewhere in there. But you may have gone through that right now. You may be hearing during this that you've had a mate that has left you or forsaken you. The boys we adopted had a birth mother that left them and basically forsake them. Are you an employer? That's had a great employee that you've worked hard building into their life, only to have them come and say, "You know what? I'm going to go work for another company," and all the trouble that that causes you because you've got to retrain, find somebody, retrain somebody, and see if that's going to work and earn the respect of the other employees. That's leaving it for Satan. Have you been through that? I've really done. Have you had a, a child that's grown up and at a certain age they finally say, "Dad, I, I want to go on my own, but I'll stay in touch," and they never does isn't there when you need them, when you call them. They might not have forsaken you, but it feels like that. Let me share something else with you. When a pastor pastors his people, this is not a job. If it becomes a job, he needs to quit. Or you need to fire him. It's a calling. And if it's a calling, he sees you as real people, part of a family. And when a person or a couple or a family says, you know what? We're going to go somewhere else. He feels like he's there. He feels like they've left him. And they've forsaken him. Can you imagine how that feels? And so, whether you've been in those situations, an employee, a family member, or ministry, no matter what happens, know this is not some dusty truth that's underlined in your Bible. Know it as a reality. That God says, I will never fail you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you don't mind, I'm going to split a hair right now. What's the difference between someone leaving you and someone forsaking you? Are they both the same? Well, if you forsake, you've left. But you can leave, but not forsake. Leaving is saying goodbye. I'll see you again. Forsaking is says, I don't want anything to do with you. I hope I never see you again. The Lord never, ever, ever says that. Remember that. So he will never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever trial you're going through, it's pretty safe to say that he's going through it with you. In a sense. Because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now the beauty about God is he's large and in charge, say amen. But he's also near and dear. Say amen. And so here's what I mean by that is he knew about the trial ahead of time. He prescribed or permitted it to come into your life or you to go into it or whatever's going on. And he's doing it for a purpose because he loves you, but he's right there with you. And then later on, we're going to see mood lift number two in a moment. But there's a future even while you're in the midst of all of this when you felt like he's left you or forsaken you, and he really hasn't done that. You're never forgotten by God. All right, let's look at mood lift number two. The verse goes on to say, and he says, that is why we can say with confidence. Wow. That is why I can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Think about that. I won't be afraid. No matter what I'm going, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now let's go backwards to that verse. It says, do to me. Watch this now. A mere mortal can throw gasoline on me and burn me. A mere mortal can pull his car out in front of me as a drunk driver and kill my wife people can do a lot of stuff to me so then when we say what mortal can do this to me because the real you is not made up of your life it's not made up of your family or your money or your health or anything the real you is what's inside of you christ in you the hope of glory. you get that i, I said this before if i die before carol you have to know carol you get to know her she's she's, she's um very unique and she said, if I went to your funeral stand and they've got you in that casket up there and I'm up on the front row, I'm going to tap the person next to me and say, see, stand over there. That's, that's really not. Stand. Okay. That's just the shell. The real nut's gone. Okay. So the idea is simply this. The real you is the nut that's inside of you. It's not what other things. So mortal things, mortal people can do stuff to you that you did not deserve or expect. I'm so sorry for that. But don't let that person get into your soul, into the real you, to destroy you. Because you've been made in the image of God. So I went backwards. Let's go back through that verse again. It goes on to say, I will not fear. If you're fearing the future of what it will be or will not be, why should you not fear? Because it says the Lord is going to help you. Why is He going to be your helper? Because He says He'll never fail you nor forsake you. Own this verse when you're going through this tough time because God is changing you from the inside out. He's working in your life. Oh, how precious that is, dear ones. Please never forget that. He is that mood lifter. Now you might say, well, how is God really working in me? Look at verse 7, if you will, and maybe 5 and 6 and 7. Here's what it says. These problems or trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. So if it's not strong and pure, then you're failing the test. The problem isn't the test. The problem is that you're not seeing God in this. So it's attacking you, hitting your faith. You're letting it attack your faith. And now it's showing that you're not as strong as you could be. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Now, whenever they purify gold, what do they do? They run it through heat. So you may be, watch this now. Feeling the heat because God wants you to move your feet. A little humor there, but I think you get what I'm saying. Goes on to say, and your faith is far more precious to God. Well it's precious to us, but it's more precious to God than mere gold. Now why is our faith more precious to God? Because when our faith is stronger, it brings more glory to God. Did you catch that? Don't that this stuff is heavy, but it's real simple to understand.